You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name's Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how are you doing this fine Sunday morning? I'm doing quite well. It is the final day of week two of rehearsal for the play that I'm in. We're going to do our designer run this afternoon, which is where, like, the set costume sound designers and some other folks in the theater come and, and watch our last last go through the play before we move into the theater on Tuesday night. So I'm looking forward to that. So you're going to be dialing M for murder, darling, very soon? I will, darling. I will be dialing M for murder this afternoon, yes. <laughs> Great. I love it. <laughs> How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, just fresh off of judging some students uh, performing solos and ensembles yesterday. And my students are going to have to do that next weekend, so it's going to be stressful. It's hard. It's hard getting, like, 150 kids ready to do something on their own that you're not quite confident. Like, it's not. It's like taking, like, a standardized test, except everyone gets to hear if they're really bad at it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. Is this for, like, Allstate or something? Uh, no, that already happened. We, ha- we actually had a bunch of kids make Allstate Band, which was awesome. We had uh, nine kids make Allstate Band Whoa. out of the whole state. Like, so they take, I don't know, 100 or so, and nine of them from our... We're from our small little town here. That's great, man. Yeah, really cool. Sweet. All right, so we've got a pretty big announcement on the podcast in terms of how we're feeling about this format. Ben has written uh, an aria of show notes for us to go through today. Um, but before we get into all that, I wanted to thank our new patrons for this week. That's right, we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash lordsoflimited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose, if you feel like it's given you some value in your life and you want to throw us some bucks. It's super, super appreciated. Helps us keep going. And uh, get a bunch of sweet perks. Get access to our show notes. Get access to a pre-show recording. Get access to the Lords of Limited Discord chat. And you get a shout-out on the show. So we want to thank Will, David, Dave, and Mike. We really, really appreciate your support. It means so much to us. Yeah, it is insanely cool to have people like our show enough to want to contribute and get back to it it just blows my mind like every time that we Mm -hmm. keep having new patrons every week so thank you thank you thank you yeah every email i get i'm like wait really really (laughs) oh yeah it's it's really very very encouraging but before we get into the main topic for the episode we've got some leaderboard checking up to do oh that's right and we've been avoiding it because it has not been good (laughs) no 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 it hasn't do you want to go first So I have done, actually, I've done a few more drafts than this. So I've done 33 drafts now uh, Mm -hmm. with seven trophies, and my record overall is 62 and 32, and I have a 66% win rate. Well, Ben, I came in hot to the format. Last week we recorded, I'd done 14 drafts, and I trophied seven times. Now I have 36 drafts, and I've trophied seven times. So I am on... (laughs) Oh, no. Quite a dry spell. I'm 63 and 41, and I have the lowest win percentage that I've had since we've started recording. I'm at 60% right now. And I'm not ashamed because I am a con- I'm confident that I'm a good player. And I think it's important for the listeners out there who don't get to jam drafts as much as we do. And I think maybe sometimes sit down for like one or two drafts a week and experience a little variance and have a lot of doubt. So like, there's just a lot of variance in this game. And I am certainly not saying that like, this win rate is only reflective of like me running bad because we're, as we're going to get into it, I think like I missed some fundamental things about this format that I now am going to embrace. Uh, and I hope to, that my win rate will f- reflect that. Yeah. I also similarly had a huge dip about like seven drafts ago. I went not quite as 
like long as extended as yours but i went eight drafts in a row that were like one two one two one two oh two i oh one dropped one time because i was wow. so frustrated i didn't even want to play the yeah. <laughs> play the last two rounds uh, and then since then since i've like changed my philosophy about drafting this format i have two one or three owed that's all i've done in the last eight drafts my last five drafts have all been two ones yeah so one of these sad stories was part of my streamer showdown draft this week so the magic uh organizes what's called a streamer showdown where they make these eight person pods of all streamers so you can watch the draft from all different angles you can watch all the matches from both sides it's a really really cool thing that they set up it's really awesome to get to participate in and i didn't fare too well this time around and i wanted to take a look at the draft and see what you might have done differently, Ben, because I think we are still like not quite in line with how we are even embracing the philosophy we're going to talk about today. And I also think there are some things that I would just have done differently if I was maybe drafting by myself, not under the the pressure of all the lights from the showdown. <laughs> yeah, Twitch chat yelling at you. Yeah. You ready to take a seat at the round table? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Pack one, pick one. Cards in contention are Exultant Sky Marcher, one white white for the two three vampire soldier with flying. Crashing Tide, two and a blue for the sorcery. It has flash as long as you control a merfolk. You return target creature to its owner's hand and you draw a card. Reaver Ambush, two and a black for the instant. Exile target creature with power three or less. Merfolk Mistbinder, green and a blue for the two-two merfolk shaman. Other merfolk you control get plus one, plus one. And I suppose also we can mention Daring Buccaneer, single red for the two-two. Uh, costs two more unless you reveal a pirate as you cast it. Yeah, this was a tough first pick for you to see. Yeah. I think the best card in the pack is Merfolk Mistbinder, yes. which is a gold card. But then like there's this weird tension, you know, like we don't get to do high stakes drafts very often. Like the streamer showdown is like really high stakes for us. Like it's, like other streamers, there's, yeah. you want to win, right? You want to win. It's like there's nothing on the line other than bragging rights, but like you want to win. Yeah, and we're yeah. both very competitive people. I, yeah. At least I assume. I hope I get a. I hope I get a play in the next one. But I assume I would be feeling pressure. Yeah, <laughs> if it's, I were it, doing. I, you feel you get some nerves. You get a little little tingly before it happens. So like, there's this weird tension. Like, if I were just doing a normal draft, I might take Merfolk Mistbinder mm. just because I think it's the best card. And if Merfolk's open, you're going to end up with a great deck. But I don't know that I would be as willing to do that in the streamer showdown, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, just as a thought process. And then so the other cards that we talked about, Daring Buccaneers, Crashing Tide, Reaver Ambush, and Sky Marcher, I think I would quickly narrow it down to Reaver Ambush versus Sky Marcher. I'm down on Crashing Tide these days outside of aggro decks. And as we're going to talk about in the episode, we really don't want to be aggro. So similarly, eliminating Daring Buccaneer for that reason. Also, just don't want to be red, which we'll get into later in the episode. Mm -hmm. So I would be between Reaver Ambush and Sky Marcher. And I think of those two cards, if I'm not going to be greedy and take the gold card, which I think I wouldn't, uh, I think I would settle on Reaver Ambush. That is what I settled on, too. I think it was for me between Miss Binder and Reaver Ambush. I wasn't considering the Sky Marcher because I was like, well, I'm either going to be greedy or not. And I settled on taking the single colored card rather than taking the the merfolk. I, it also felt like, I don't know, that I was in a pod with a lot of people who weren't necessarily limited players. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like people who haven't been diving into the format might have been like, just like going for the clear tribal decks 
And so I was sort of thinking about like avoid because I felt much more comfortable doing non tribal decks, like just doing like a blue black ascend deck or a black green stuff deck or whatever. Like that I I was maybe consciously thinking like I might want to avoid the like vampire or merfolk deck because that might be heavily drafted. That makes sense. Uh, so so I settled on ambush here. All right, pack two is a lot spicier here. Uh, cards in contention. You've got a jungle born pioneer, two and a black for the two two merfolk scout. When it enters the battlefield, you make a one one blue merfolk creature token with hexproof impale two black black for the sorcery destroy target creature deadeye rig hauler three and a blue for the three two human pirate with raid when it enters the battlefield bounce a creature buccaneers bravado one in a red choose one target creature gets plus one plus one and gains first strike until end of turn or target pirate gets plus one plus one and gains double strike until end of turn siren reaver three and a blue for the three two but if you attack with the creature this turn it costs one less so it could be three mana for a three two it has flying forerunner of the coalition two and a black for a two two human pirate this is the the tutor creature you can when it comes into play you search your library for a pirate card put it on top and its uh, tribal ability is whenever another pirate enters the battlefield under your control each opponent loses one life and lastly dead eye brawler two blue black for the two four human pirate with death touch and it has Ascend. If you have the City's Blessing, when it attacks and deals damage to a player, you draw a card. Yeah, this pack is stacked. There's a lot of really powerful cards here, and almost all of them are blue and black outside of the Jungleborn Pioneer and the Buccaneer's Bravado. I think you can easily eliminate those two. I think the blue and yeah. the black cards all are quite a ways better than that. And then, so the question is, do you want to be greedy again uh, with Deadeye Brawler with a gold card, mm-hmm. or do you want to play it safe? Uh, and I think you can probably rule out Siren Reaver, because I think if you're taking a blue card, you're probably taking Deadeye Brawler. I think so. And then it comes down to, if you don't want to take the Deadeye Brawler, is Forerunner Impale better? I think I stand on the fact that Impale is better than Forerunner. I like the Forerunners a lot, but the black one, I have been the least impressed by consistently. Mm-hmm. It's still good. Yes, still very good, but the least good in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I really value having two to three catch-all removal spells in my decks these days. Um, so I think I would be on Impale here. Yeah, this this bummed me out because Deadeye Brawler is one of my favorite cards in the format. And, and Blue Black is sort of my favorite deck in the format. But I just felt like it was a pretty nice follow-up to my one removal spell to just like stay black and, and see what else happened. So we're two for two here. And here is, I think, where we're going to diverge pretty heavily. Yes. <laughs> Pack three, you see the following cards. There's a Martyr of Dusk, one and a white for the 2-1 Vampire Soldier. When it dies, you get a 1-1 white Vampire Creature Token with Lifelink. Hunt the Weak, three and a green for the Sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Then that creature fights another target creature you don't control. Exultant Sky Marcher, one white, white for the 2-3 Vamp Soldier with Flying. A Deadeye Rig Hauler again, the creature with Raid bouncing another creature. Dire Fleet Neck... Breaker, that's two black red for the three two orc pirate attacking pirates you control get plus two plus oh. And Paladin of Atonement, I suppose. This is a rare one and a white for the one one vampire knight. At the beginning of each upkeep, if you lost life last turn, you put a plus one plus one counter on it, and then when it dies, you gain life equal to its toughness. A lot of good cards again. And again, the gold card stands out as probably the best card in the pack. Maybe. <laughs> I, 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 well, I really do think it is. I yeah. think Dire Fleet, like I think Dire Fleet Neckbreaker is in black-red, one of the best cards in the black-red deck. No, for sure it is. Really makes it pack a lot of punch. So other cards that stand out to me besides Dire Fleet Neckbreaker, Exultant Sky Marcher, the one white-white for the 2-3 Flyer, and Hunt the Weak. I think mm-hmm. those are the next 
two best cards. Yeah. Um, so I would be trying to decide between one of those three. And I think, you know, I, I kind of know how this draft is turning out because I watched you on stream. I think yeah. if I were in the streamer showdown in the heat of the moment, I think I would also take Dire Fleet Neckbreaker here, pack one, pick three. Yeah. And I would be I would be loath to do it, but I would also be very willing to move off it. Yeah. So Ben and I are talking about this. And as you said, we're, we're the episode is titled, no spoilers here, avoiding the aggro trap. So like, we're not excited about these all-in aggro decks. And while Dire Fleet Neckbreaker is probably the best tool in the Black Red Pirate aggro deck, that's still not a deck that I'm excited to draft, and it's certainly not a deck I'm excited to pilot. I feel like my strengths as a Magic player come with decks that are uh, playing out into the late game, that are like stabilizing and then taking control of the game. That's where I feel my like strength as a limited player comes into play. And I have passed Dire Fleet Neckbreaker before, because I don't want to draft Black Red aggro. But I just sort of like folded under the pressure and I was also sort of nervous about like, well, am I not drafting black red aggro because like, am I indulging my dirtle senses too much? And like, this really is a good deck and I taken two black removal spells and here's a black red gold card. Like maybe it's time to move in. I think if I was off camera, I would take Hunt the Week. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, so I grabbed the Dire Fleet Neckbreaker and then we move on to pack four. Things are starting to dry up a little bit. Um, there's some fixing. You've got a Traveler's Amulet. That's the artifact that you can sacrifice for a mana and search your library for a basic land, put it into your hand. There is a Goblin Trailblazer, one in a red for the 2-1 Goblin Pirate with Menace. There's another Crashing Tide. There's a Raging Regisaur, again, another gold uncommon that's quite powerful. Two red-green for the 4-4 Dinosaur. When it attacks, you deal one damage to a target creature or player. Anything else in this pack you think worth mentioning? I think that catches it all to me. And the card that stands out to me, head and shoulders above the rest, power level-wise, is Raging Regisaur. Again, obviously, if I'd just taken Neckbreaker, Goblin Trailblazer looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. But I I am so down on that card. I just never want to put that card in my deck, hardly ever. And I really don't want to be red. So as I said, I would have taken the Neckbreaker last pack, but I would have been very willing to move off it. And Raging Regisaur... Uh, is the thing that's going to get me to move off it here. I would be slamming Raging Regisaur and taking that as a signal that uh, maybe Red Green Dinosaurs was open, and I really like Red Green Dinosaurs. Interesting. So you're just like, all right, maybe my last three picks are not what I'm supposed to be doing, and this Regisaur is a signal for dinos, and I'm just going to grab it here. Yep. I like that a lot. I think had I done... If I had taken Hunt the Week in the last pack... Uh, I might be tempted to just like grab Traveler's Amulet here as just like a let's see what's going on. But I could also see taking Regisaur and like that's a very splashable card if I'm black green control. Yes, that's what I think. I think that card is super splashable and I think it's worth splashing. It's yeah. very, very, very powerful. Very worth it. Okay, cool. All right. I think you talked me into Raging Regisaur here. All right. Pack one, pick five. Cards in contention. Spirewinder. Three and a blue for the two, three. Sneck with flying. And when uh, it has a send, when you have the city's blessing, it gets plus one, plus one. There's a Legion Conquistador. That's the two and a white, two, two vamp soldier. I always like to keep track of these because I think these cards are really strong. These are the, the two twos that when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for any number of cards named Legion Conquistador and put them into your hand. And and there's a Stormfleet Swashbuckler, one in a red for the 2-2 Human Pirate with Ascend. If you have the City's Blessing, it has Double Strike. And uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, that is about it. I think Spirewinder is probably the best card in the pack that's left. Mm-hmm. I love me a Legion Conquistador, but we are pretty far away from white at this point. Quite far. After just picking Raging Regisaur, this 2-drop uh, red card is looking 
pretty solid to me. And actually, so like back to, you know, the Goblin Trailblazer, I actually like the look of Stormfleet's Washbuckler quite a bit more than Goblin Trailblazer because it's going to be relevant in the late game and it doesn't suffer from that one toughness drawback. Yeah. So I think I'd be on Swashbuckler here. That's interesting. I think had I gone that the route I've gone so far, I think I'd be on. Oh, I, I should have mentioned this card because I think it might be what I would take. There's a recover in the pack. That's two and a black for the sorcery return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand draw card. Which, like, lets me sort of, I don't know, if Raging Registor is one of my more powerful effects, I can rebuy it. And also, like, it lets me still keep the Black Dream alive with my first two removal spells. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm pretty sad to pass my boy Spirewinder here. Yeah, Recover is my new favorite card in the the set. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's really, really good. All right, so the rest of the pack, I just sort of, like, put the blinders up, unfortunately, and, and, and started going for red-black pirates, which made me really sad, because pick 10, the Deadeye Brawler, the blue-black gold card wield, and I think, retrospectively, I really could have just been blue-black. Like, I, there was a, a late Spirewinder, even after the one we just talked about um, in pick 7, with nothing much else to talk about in the pack that I, I probably would have taken as a flyer, and then just ended up in in, in blue-black control and, and gotten pretty rewarded in pack two. It looks like Ben would have navigated the draft a little differently, yeah? Yeah, I think I'd have ended up in red-green dinos. Uh, the next pack, there's like a stampeding horn crest for me, the 4-4 haster, and then a fanatical firebrand, the one-drop pinger. I think that card is like not an aggro card. I think that card's like a defensive card for the dinos decks against the X-1s. That's kind of how I view that card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think there would have been some red-green payoffs in pack two that I would have seen. Uh, I remember the draft, and you you saw a couple more Raging Registors in pack two. So I really think I'd have ended up red-green dinos in your seat. Nice, yeah. Super interesting that I think there were, like, multiple better decks viable than the one that I ended up drafting. So it's a, a good learning experience, and I think a really good segue into what we've got to talk about today. Which is how to avoid the aggro trap, which, uh, unfortunately, you got pushed into in the streamer showdown. I did not avoid. And I think also worth noting that the Black Red Pirates deck that you ended up with was a good Black Red Pirates deck, and you still, you know, ran a little bad and one tuned. Yeah, I mean, I, I did play all nine games, so like I could have easily, it could have easily been a 2-1, um, but, you know, I just didn't have any. In uh, my third match against Rich Shea, he played Profane Procession in games two and games three. I have no way to deal with that, and if I can't, like, out-race it, like if I don't have like enough of a board presence to be punish him for playing a do nothing enchantment and then paying five mana to kill like a two two of mine, then I there's, I have no chance of winning that game. Right, and that's and that's where like that card's better than every card in your deck, and your deck's reliant on like hitting its curve out, et cetera, et cetera, to like overcome that good card out of Rich's deck. Yeah. So yeah, let's just get into it. I refuse to draft aggro unless <laughs> I am absolutely pigeonholed into it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. You like like word vomited out these show notes yesterday and i was just like reading through them and i was like yes 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 (laughs) yes like it's everything i've been like sort of thinking but worried about because like as you remember how i was doing at the end of ixalan i was like oh yeah this dirtle deck is like fun and good but like it wasn't it was like a tool it wasn't actually like the best deck or like i didn't feel like it was really the, the the deck you should be drafting unless it was really wide open for you but i do feel like all the tools are really here now for that deck to be pretty pretty prominent yeah i think this is the thing i want to be doing in the format like i want to win and i think this is how i can win best at this point in the format so here's just some thoughts like we're going to kind of lay down why we think aggro is not great i think the biggest thing is that all of the aggro decks in the format function in a very similar way and rely on cards that have the same 
drawbacks. So almost every aggro deck in the format relies on creatures that has one toughness and that are fairly high picks. Like if you think Goblin Trailblazer, Kite Sail Corsairs, so the 2-1 Menace, the 2-1 Flyer when it's attacking, uh, Guilt Grove Stalker, the 2-1 for 2 that can't be blocked by creatures with power 2 or more. Those are kind of the three headlining aggro cards in the set, mm-hmm. and they all get wrecked by things that punish one toughness effects. Yeah, for sure. The other thing is, like, if you stop the initial rush of these aggro decks, they often don't have ways to claw back into it. Like, there's no card advantage. There's no, like, it's tough because they, like, want to be playing a low number of lands, so they're not going to be running these, like, powerful six-drop bombs or whatever. So, like, they, they often run out of steam pretty quickly if they're not able to just, like, curve out on you. Yeah, and I think another huge drawback is that they can't beat any life gain if it goes unchecked so if you land a squire's devotion if you land the mark of the vampire if you land a queen's agent and they don't have an answer for it they just lose the game on the spot yeah four points of life gain is just like wait what you get to do what and there's all also this is a a thing i i just missed i think in the set review because or the crash course because uh i was like focusing on the number of cards rather than like the frequency you would see them because it's a small set but like just the two life tacked onto moment of craving and moment of triumph is really big game. The life gain off of Sadistic Sky Marcher, like obviously the life gain off of the, the enhancements you just talked about, there's just a lot floating around. And gaining four, six life randomly is really hard for the aggro deck to combat. Yep. The other thing, and this is a huge, huge point, I think, for these decks, is that they're so dependent on a good opening hand and they do not mulligan well. Something I've keep hearing in discord in twitch chat i had a coaching session with uh, a student last night and we were, we were a skype coaching session for limited and we were trying to talk about like how like the things that she was feeling frustrated by and a lot of it was like she was like i feel like i'm mulliganing a lot and like i feel like i'm getting these these hands that don't do anything like a five land hand with a bounce bell and a creature or whatever and like what well, we have to look at like how these aggro decks are built and they really need like you need like three lands and a good curve of creatures because if you have like three lands and a three drop in an aggro deck you're not really doing it if that's your first play you're not really going to do it so you don't mulligan well and you're pretty reliant on these like fragile opening hands that need all these pieces to come together and it's a lot that's like out of your control Yes, absolutely. And I feel like the decks that aren't aggro decks are thrilled. I'm thrilled to keep a five land two spell hand as long as one of my two spells is a two or three drop. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that the aggro decks suffer from is they frequently want to play 16 or less lands. Um, And as a result of that, I think they're a more vulnerable to color screw uh, because you need oftentimes the correct color of mana for one drops that you're trying to curve out with. And so many of the good three drops in the format, and this is something that I keep coming back to more and more, even in non-aggro decks, have double-colored requirements, which is tough to hit double-colored on turn three. It's not going to happen every time. So I think as a result of wanting to run less lands and needing a specific color of mana early for one drops, maybe gold two drops, or a double-colored three drop, they're more vulnerable to color screw. So it feels it feels like you're getting unlucky, but I don't know. I think they're more prone to getting unlucky uh, yeah, than a non-aggro sure. deck. I totally agree. They're relying also on casting like intrinsically less powerful cards like Grasping Scoundrels. I second picked Grasping Scoundrel. That's the, the <laughs> black 1-1 one, one that gets plus 1 plus 0 when it attacks. Like Never again. Never again. Miscloaked Herald. Like sure, there are times when these cards are going to like, you're going to lose to these cards and when your aggro opponent curves out on you. But they're just like atrocious top decks. When my opponent has like five mana in play and they go Island, Tap, Miscloaked Herald. Past the turn, I'm like, what did you just do? 
what are you doing to impact the board late game? And you, these decks just don't have the ways, the tools to do that often enough. Right. And I think so it, it sticks out in your mind when you lose to a curve of like grasping scoundrel into goblin trailblazer into whatever, mm-hmm. and your opponent kills you. But if you're the one piloting that aggro deck to consistently hit grasping scoundrel or some other one drop on turn one, you need to be running like six one drops or something. Yeah. And then like eight two drops. And if you have a deck that's built like that, if you ever don't hit like one drop, two drop, your deck's just going to lose. And so like doing that three rounds in a row, like best of three is really hard to do to get to a three zero, in my opinion. And there is a possibility, it's not going to happen that often, that like even when you have that nut curve out, that your opponent can also defensive defensively curve out on you, right? They place a two drop into Sailor of Means or whatever that brick walls your Goblin Trailblazer. And then you're just like, wait, what What can I do? I need to like dig for one of my three combat tricks or whatever. And if you don't hit that, you're just going to run out of steam so fast. Or heaven forbid they just dual shot you on turn two what? <laughs> and you just lose the game on the spot. Yeah. That feels so good. I think winning the die roll and being on the play is also so important. This is something I never keep track of, but I feel like some people like people are like, man, I just lost like the last six die rolls. I have no idea why you would ever <laughs> use brain space to track that. Like, it's not something I ever think about. But like you, I think you said this earlier, you're like, I feel like it's like a 5% increase of a win for these aggro decks if they're on the play or the draw. I don't want that. I don't want my deck win percentage to be reliant on a roll of the dice. Yeah, I I really feel like I also don't track die rolls, but I am like, it's very noticeable to me when I'm playing an aggro deck and I'm not on the play. That's when I notice it. Like if we're at game three and I'm not on the play, I'm thinking, uh oh, I don't like my chances here. Right. How much worse is Grasping Scoundrel when your opponent has the opportunity to play a two drop? They go land, go, you play Grasping Scoundrel, they go land. They're going to probably have a two drop and then you're just trading. And even if they don't, they're going to have a three drop that probably can block it and... It got in one hit. Yeah, great. Perfect. You played a card to deal two damage to your opponent. That's terrible. Yep. And I also think the other thing that was pretty frustrating to me during my drought of uh, (laughs) aggro here, um, the aggro mirror match, I think, is super full of variance and often unwinnable if you stumble. So, for example, that die roll thing coming back into play there feels like the die roll is huge in the aggro mirror match. And just whoever curves out or whoever can force the other person to go on defense first, it feels like determines the winner of the game. That's just not fun to me at all. Like having a coin flip decide whether or not I win, win my game. And that's kind of what it feels like. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but that's the feeling I have when I'm in an aggro mirror match. I also will say that is a, it's a very difficult thing to do. That's like one of the, I think one of the hardest things to figure out is like when to switch from being the beatdown to not in, a, in an aggro mirror match, and when to realize you've like turned the corner that you can start attacking. Those are two really hard things to, to see correctly, and things that you get punished super hard if you are a turn late on figuring it out. Yeah. All this has been stewing around in my brain like during this losing streak. Like I just kept losing, kept losing. And I took a page out of Ryan Sachs's book. I remember him saying that like usually he went through a period in the format like a couple weeks in where he lost a bunch and he sat down and tried to figure out why. So I've just been like thinking about why and I've come to all these conclusions. And the thing that sealed it for me, I went back and looked at my draft record. And granted, this is a small sample size, like relatively speaking, it's 30 drafts, but the results are pretty stark. So at the point I looked at this, I'd done 31 drafts. Of 10 drafts that I'd done that had gone either 0-2 or 1-2, nine of those were me playing aggro decks. And of 21 drafts that I had done that had gone 2-1 or 3-0, 
19 of those 21 were control or mid-range. So only two aggro decks that I drafted had gone 2-1 or 3-0. None of them had gone 3-0. Only the two aggro decks had only 2-1. So once I looked at that, I was just thinking, man, this is ridiculously stark contrast. I need to stop drafting aggro. Yeah, I mean, that you say it's a small sample size, and I know why you're saying that. But like, for the general population, that's not that small. 31 drafts is not that small. No, I agree. And and the other thing, so once I've once I've switched to drafting mid-ranger aggro, my last eight drafts, or rather really trying to steer away from aggro, I've only 2-1 or 3-0'd. And I think you've experienced the same thing. Yeah, my, my last five drafts have been 2-1s. And the last two, I lost in game three of the finals both times. Like, I... That makes me feel very confident. I'm not like salty about that. I feel very confident that like I am drafting the kinds of decks that I feel like can succeed more often than not in this format. Right. And I keep consistently losing to decks when I'm drafting these mid-ranger control decks that can go bigger than me. Uh, that's how I lose. I'm not losing as often to the aggro uh, nut draw, as it were. So I think there's a couple specific aggro decks that are worse than the others, in my opinion, that really suffer from some of these these weaknesses. Black Red Pirates, I think, does not pack any punch without dire fleet neckbreaker or if it gets lucky with like a buccaneers bravado wombo combo i think black red pirates get stopped by any two good ground blockers in the format once you have two blockers out goblin trailblazer does nothing and most of black red's threats attack on the ground yeah that's the thing about black red is like it just doesn't have evasion the thing that i still think makes some aggro decks viable is the prominence of like kitesail corsair at common that there's a lot of i think there's a, a lot of good evasive threats and not a lot of good ways to block them unless you're prioritizing them. Um, but Black Red just doesn't have those tools. Yeah. Um, the other aggro deck that I feel like we're pretty low on is the Blue Red Pirates deck, which functions more like a combo deck than an aggro deck. Like it's trying to combine like Tillinali's Crown and Buccaneer's Bravado to just like pump and cheese some wins. And I think that requires, like what we were talking about before, like for an aggro deck to have a good opening hand, it's got to have like not too many lands, but enough lands that you can cast your spells and curve out and a good curve because you can't only have like three drops. And that's a really tough thing to do. And Blue Red Pirates suffers from the same problem because it needs those pieces all together. It's like, well, I need a couple creatures and I also need my pump spell and I need my bounce spell and a removal and whatever. And I just think that's too many pieces to ask of in a limited deck. Right. And when they do get them, it's never going to lose. Like in the finals, I just lost to a white red deck that played a headstrong brute and put a Tillinali's crown on it and then went like removal spell, removal spell, removal spell, Buccaneer's bravado. But if they hadn't had that exact sequence of cards, like one less removal spell or hadn't drawn the Buccaneer's bravado, I would have won handily. I mean, so you're going to lose to these decks still, but I just don't want to be playing them. No, not at all. So I guess the overarching moral of this little segment is, can you win with aggro? Yes. Do Ethan and I want to be winning with aggro? No. Should you still draft aggro? Yes, uh, but I'm myself personally trying to steer away from it unless it's absolutely, totally obvious that that's what I'm supposed to be doing in my seat. I think, especially because of how deep blue is at common in this format and how much I think people are still going to be like trying to draft at least those the black, red, and blue, red aggro decks, I think... If you like hold up, if you really go in drafting with this preference, which feels so difficult for me, and I think for you too, at least to like really grasp onto, because we were, you know, we grew up on limited resources. We grew up on all these like things telling you to like stay open, stay open. Don't like go into a draft thinking like one color is worse than the other. It's all about like what, like being aware of what you're getting past and, and how you should be navigating the draft. This is the first time I've ever gone in so strongly being like, nope, I don't want to draft that kind of deck. This is the kind of deck I want to draft, and I'm just going to hold on. And I 
have not felt punished for doing that yet. I agree. Yeah, I think the drafting with preferences concept is super interesting. And I think it's very, very, very viable. And to be clear, there are some aggro decks that I am much more willing to play than blue, red and black, red are the decks I'm off the most. I think Merfolk's Merfolk is probably still great. And I think I've been building Merfolk decks wrong. And I think I've kind of figured out how to do that with taking Jungleborn Pioneers a little more highly now. Mm -hmm. And I think White Red's also got a lot more staying power. So I think there are aggro decks, too, that that are less, quote, all in than like Black Red and Blue Red. Interesting. So what are the advantages of playing a non-aggro deck? Like, why are we so high on these? There's so many reasons. Pretty much <laughs> everything that's the opposite of <laughs> why you why you don't want to be playing the aggro decks. So uh, you can keep a hand with four to five lands on the play or the draw and feel totally fine about it as long as you've got like one card with some defensive speed. Because you want to hit land drops to cast your spells on curve. It just feels great, like being able to keep a hand that does not need to curve out to win. Yeah. When you have card advantage engines in your deck, you feel so much better about mulliganing. Like if you've got Secrets of the Golden City, if you've got some Dusk Legion Zealots floating around, a Crashing Tide that, that can replace itself, if you've got a, a playset of Legion Conquistadors in a, in a white deck, like mulliganing to six feels so much better because it's like, all right, it's fine. I'll like probably recoup this loss at some point in the game. I have the tool. I know my deck has the tools to do that, whereas aggro decks do not. Right. Or if you're flooding, casting Secrets of the Golden City feels great because you feel like you're going to be able to draw out of the flood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think another big advantage of playing a non-aggro deck is that you know how generally uh, how the aggro decks are going to be attacking you and you can have a prepared plan that beats them. So you know your opponent's going to try to play a one drop or you know they're going to play try to play a two drop that probably has one toughness uh, that's evasive or you know they're going to be trying to land a Buccaneer's Bravado. They all basically function in the same way, and there are tons of cards that punish the best cards for aggro. So I think if you prioritize those cards that punish the aggro cards, it's pretty easy to stop them a majority of the time. You can also run 17 lands in this deck very consistently, and that's going to let you keep more openers and and mulligan a lot better. Uh, again, aggro decks are going to want to be running 16, sometimes 15 lands, and we're talking about like small percentages here, but... Small percentages over the course of playing these decks a lot of time are going to show up way more, and you're going to experience these like awkward seven-card hands in the aggro decks, and you're just not going to get those that much in these uh, these more mid-range control decks. Yeah, I think another big reason is that you don't care quite as much about being on the play or the draw. The play's still better for you, obviously, because then you get to play your three-drop, uh, staring down their two-drop, but you're fine either way. You don't feel like you're up against it hard on the draw unless your opponent goes like one drop two drop three drop and your first play is a three drop but i think that situation is more fewer and far between this next point is one of the things that that really turns me on to this deck because it takes advantage of the amount of fixing that is available in this format to be able to splash for powerful cards and there are a lot of powerful cards i mean this this format has been called a prince format by i think basically everyone there's just like a lot of like windmill slam bombs but as we saw in the round table there's also a ton of like really powerful uncommons that are gold so like if you're blue green you want to play that dead eye brawler or you want to splash raging regisaur and the fact that evolving wilds traveler's amulet and sailor of means all exist for this deck at common are are the the things that let me know that the tools are available here for me to splish splash around and play the most powerful cards that i see in my seat yeah i've been picking evolving wilds higher and higher and higher i think that card's really strong yeah, it's, I mean, especially because I know that I'm going to default to this deck a lot of the times. I mean, I can't, so many of my decks have been like three colors recently. And so I just know like if I if pick four, I see like a kind of weak pack. 
It's like, well, I could just take like an on color two drop here, but I'll just like take Evolving Wilds because I know I'm going to use it later. Yeah. So we've talked about, you know, why the aggro decks are not great and why the the mid-ranger control decks are great. Uh, So we're going to lay down for you here how to beat aggro. And I think the key to that is just prioritizing cards that are good against them and still good in other matchups. And there are a lot of those cards. So why don't you kick us off with white here? Okay, so the commons at white, and this is not going to surprise anyone, the first one we want to talk about is Squire's Devotion. So life gain is one of the most powerful tools you can have to combat aggro decks, because like if you start the game at 24, 26 life, it's really hard for them, because they are really counting down from 20 to, to try and get you dead. So as soon as you land a, a swing in with a Squire's Devotion and, and gain that bit of life, even if they're able to deal with that creature or double or block it or whatever, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Martyr of Dusk is great because it provides two relevant bodies, right? A lot of these aggro decks are re- reliant on X1s and Martyr of Dusk trades with two X1s, right? Trades with it the first time around and then poops out a little 1-1 one, one lifelinker that then trades and, and buys you a little life. Your 1-1 one, one lifelinkers staring down uh, Raptor's Companion feels so good. I mean, Raptor's Companion was bad at Ixalan, and it's bad here. <laughs> it's like, that card's so poopy. Legion Conquistador, I just think, it keeps going up and up for me. Like, I'm willing to just, like, pick it as the first white card I, I take in a draft sometimes, because, like, I think planting your foot as the Legion Conquistador drafter is more powerful now because it's a smaller set, so you're gonna see more of them. Like, I think it's a lot easier to end up with three or four at the end of the draft. And it's great. It provides a 2-2, which trades with a ton of stuff, and replaces itself multiple times even. So, like, it, I think the aggro deck's grown a lot when you grab a Conquistador. Snubhorn Sentry is uh, the 0-3 that, when you have the City's Blessing, is a 3-3 for just one mana. So it sort of stops. Now, it doesn't stop the three powerful 2-1 evasive two drops that we've been talking about a lot, but it does stop a lot of the other things. Like, you know, if your opponent has a Martyr of Dusk or a, I don't know, um, a, a Till and Ollie's Knight that perhaps they don't have a, a Dino out yet, that, that sort of thing, it certainly stops the Grasping Scoundrels in its tracks. And then if you get to the late game and this is a 3-3, that's just going to be bigger than everything your opponent has. And I do think it, it another important thing is that it lets you, uh, versus Goblin Trailblazer, it lets your two-drop block their Goblin Trailblazer profitably then. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's very smart. I like that. And I think the last one here <clears throat> is Suncrested Pterodon. That's the 2-5 Dino with Flying and Dino Vigilance if you have another Dino. And this card, I think, is really important to have because Flying is one of the ways these decks fold. Now, I had a lot, I feel like I just put in all my reps in Triple Ixalan to figure out like what the important pieces for this kind of deck is. And it needs a lot, as we'll, we'll summarize a little later. So it needs life gain, I think, or, or incidental life gain is really helpful in these decks. But the thing that this deck is going to fold to the most is opposing flyers. And Suncrested Pterodon stops them all in their tracks. It's not going to maybe kill them all, but it certainly brick walls them all. Yeah. I think there's a lot of really good white uncommons uh, against aggro as well. Baffling End, one and a white, being uh, a two-drop removal spell that can kill anything with converted mana cost three or less, even after they've potentially landed a swashbuckling or Mm -hmm. their own Squire's Devotion on it is huge. Everdawn Champion, one white white for the 2-2 that has protection from combat damage. That is insane against the aggro decks that attack on the ground, like Black Red or, you know, pretty much anything without Kitesail Corsair. Famished Paladin being one and a white for a 3-3 is just a huge body. Now, it doesn't untap unless you gain life, but primarily uh, you're using it defensively, or at least that's how I've been using it. And it's a very, very strong card defensively. Um, and then I think there's some standouts from Ixalan as well. Bishop Soldier, still great. 
at gaining life and doing everything that it does. Skyblade of the Legion, I think, is very good against Kite Sail Corsair. That's one and a white for the 1-3 Flying Vamp. And Inspiring Cleric was feeling good to me in Ixalan. It feels great to me now in this draft format. Yeah. Two and a white for a 3-3 that gains you four life is big game. Yeah, for sure. It's no secret that I'm obsessed with blue in this format. And I feel kind of bad that I missed the mark on Sailor of Means in our review. That I was sort of like, I don't think this is a dirtle format. I think Sailor of Means got worse. Oh no. Sailor of Means got so much better. And as long as the rest of the world is not figuring this out yet, you're going to get like three to four of them in your deck. And you just want all of them. It does basically everything you need. It provides a relevant blocker. It provides two permanence towards ascend it allows you to splash it's just really got it all if it, it i just needed to have lifelink that's all then it would just be the perfect <laughs> card yeah it would be insane spirewinder is a card that just keeps going up and up for me and as we'll see it's it's pretty high up in my uh my three blue commons this card i, I call this the new grazing whiptail last week and i stand by that this does we, we talked about sun crested pterodon like being like well it doesn't maybe trade with all or kill all of the opposing flyers. Spirewinder, once you have Ascend, really does. Like, it's the defensive card you need while you're, like, getting to the late game, and then it's your win condition in the late game. I think this card is is really, really powerful for these decks. And I know the 4-drop slot gets pretty clogged in these decks, but this is one that I, I think you want to make room for. It's not the hero you deserve, but it's the hero you need. Oh, it's definitely the hero you need, for sure. Ooh, we, you want to start calling Spirewinder Batman? <laughs> Can we do it? Okay. All right, you heard it here first. Spirewinder is Batman. And then Waternaut. Now, I'm curious to, to hear about this, because while I do definitely think Waternaut... Oh, and we, we probably should have named Luminous Bonds in the, in the White Commons, yeah? Oh, yeah. But, so, Waternaut, I think, is, is very good, because as you get to these, like, catch-all removal spells, they're going to be expensive, so you're going to be losing some tempo and some mana advantage when you cast them. Like, if you're impaling a Goblin Trailblazer, it feels pretty bad. But at that one mana cheaper discount with Water Knot or Luminous Bonds, you, you are sort of getting that, that one-for-one one removal at a pretty decent price. Now, are you still feeling like the format is full of these kinds of effects and so you don't need to prioritize them highly? How, where are you at on that? I've started picking them a little more highly because I really value having two to three fairly cheap answers to something with an aura on it uh -huh. or some or some bomb. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little higher on Water Knot than I have been. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I'm still... It still makes me a little nervous because of the double blue. Yeah, it's tough. Because I'm like, well, can I really reliably cast this on turn three when I need to? I don't know. But who am I kidding? I'm running like 15 islands in my deck anyway. Um, <laughs> so the unfortunate thing for blue is that it doesn't really have a ton of uncommons that are good. You know, like Silvergill Adept, if you're in Merfolk, is nice because it's a two drop that replaces itself. That's going to be very good against an aggro deck. But only if you can reliably play it for two and reveal a Merfolk from your hand. Other than that, it's pretty tough to find some uncommons that combat these aggro decks very well. But that's okay because there's so many duels at common for blue to be able to do so. And then there's like a, the Ixalan standouts I think are just going to be a Siren Lookout, the the one one two for three mana flyer that explores. That's going to be really good because if it draws you a land and has one power, it's going to trade with an X1 probably. And if it's a 2-3 flyer, it's also going to like 
brick wall their Corsairs or other two-power things, be able to to at least bounce off a lot of opposing flyers. Um, so I think Siren Lookout's pretty powerful in the Ixalan pack. And then, of course, there's still Sailor of Means. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, there's that wasn't a ton of cards we listed there for blue, but I think those cards are very important. And I think blue provides card advantage, Secrets of the Golden City, which mm-hmm. we didn't really list here, because that's not really, like, great against aggro. But I no. do think it's a really important tool for these decks to beat non-aggro decks so i i've liked pairing blue with white or black a lot because white and black both have tons of cards that punish aggro so moving on to those black commons dust legion zealot one in a black for the one one vamp that draws you a card and loses you a life just putting a body on the board that replaces itself is very very strong against aggro and really punishes x1s that don't have evasion uh, and moment of craving is just insane against the aggro decks one in a black uh, for the instant minus two minus two gain two life it's a huge road bump and that two life matters a lot I would put honorary mention uh, Fathom Fleet Border in this list because I think a three mana three three, even if you don't have another pirate and like you lose two life when you play it. Now it's terrible against bounce if that's what's happening, but let's say that's that's not the case. A three mana three three is bigger than a ton of stuff in this format. And oftentimes like you might be like, well, I don't want to lose two life against an aggro deck, but like it's probably going to gain you more life in the long run because of the amount of creatures that it is brickwalling. That makes sense. There's also some insane uncommons. Insane! Insane! Golden Demise, one black black, just a house against aggro decks. They cannot beat it most often. And Osworn Vampire is really annoying. The one in black for the 2-2 that comes into play tapped for the vampire, and you can cast it out of your graveyard if you gained life that turn. Trading that off and then getting it back feels really bad if you're the aggro player and you're staring that down. Sadistic Sky Marcher, two and a black for the 2-2 flying lifelinker vamp that you have to pay one more unless you reveal a vamp from your hand. That's insanely good against aggro decks. And Reaver Ambush, uh, the two black essentially vanquish the weak, uh, exile something with power three or less. Very good interactive spell early. Ravenous Chupacabra. Like, an aggro deck beating Flame Tongue Kabu is so, so, so hard. Because you kill whatever their best threat was, and then you've still got a blocker for whatever other threat they've got left lying around. And I've really also liked Arterial Flow quite a bit against aggro decks. Specifically when I'm playing Vampires, because you need to gain the two life uh, when you cast it to make up for doing nothing that turn. But if your aggro opponent is on the play, and you get their last two cards in hand, or you get two out of their last three cards in hand... Oftentimes, you took enough of their gas that they just do not have a chance to win the game. Right. We talked about how fragile these the hands are for these aggro decks. And so, like, you don't need to be like, oh, I'm just going to get their last two cards. Like, if you're getting two of their three or two of their four cards, like, you're still going to be impacting their hand in a very, very meaningful way. Yep, absolutely. There are a few Ixon standouts here, and I think it's really apparent how much life gain you get out of black with Mark of the Vampire and Queen's Agent at common. Uh, Skullduggery is like a mythic common now because it's like killing these X1s and often going to be providing two for ones and then Vanquish the Week as well. All very strong. Moving on to red, we really do not want to be red. I, I don't know how explicitly we've stated that. I, I do not want to be red. I will draft red white now if I'm pigeonholed into it and I will happily draft red green dinosaurs. But I do not want to be red blue. I do not want to be red black. And a lot of the reason is that red just does not have many tools to fight these aggro decks. So the red commons uh, mutiny is very good if you are not an aggro player against aggro decks uh, because it lets you double spell and often kills like whatever their best threat is um, because they have such low toughness. Uh, So mutiny being the red mana for having target creature and opponent controls deal damage to another creature that opponent controls. Fanatical firebrand, uh, the one drop one one haster that can ping something. I think that's really great at picking off X1s. And bombard's just a fantastic removal spell. Two and a red instant speed deal four damage to target creature or player. Also good at stopping the aggro decks. 
a couple uncommons that stand out specifically for the dinosaurs deck shake the foundations two in a red uh instant speed deals one damage to every creature without flying black red decks just cannot beat that card it feels like and forerunner the empire the dinosaur forerunner the three red for the one three that lets you put a dino on top of your deck and when a dinosaur enters the battlefield deals one damage to everything that's really really strong against lots of these aggro decks and then lastly you know we've talked about it a lot already but dual shot is insane now single red mana instant speed deal one damage to two target creatures frequently a two for one that you can cast early in the game and really hard for the aggro decks to overcome so would it be fair to say that much like how we felt when we came out with our our beard episode in in ixalan that we were like i don't want to draft green unless i'm merfolk do you feel you're not drafting red unless you're dinos I yes, I feel very strongly about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. And I, I'm also I think I'm a little more resistant to the Dino deck than you are because I'm like, well, I'll just splash Raging Regisaur or I'll splash Bombard in my green blue or green black deck. I, I'm not convinced that this this red green deck is where I want to be at. But I think Shake the Foundations and Forerunner of the Empire, Forerunner specifically, is is just a, a house because it tutors up your best thing and then wrecks opposing aggro decks as well. So moving on to green, Jungleborn Pioneer. This card just really does it all, I think. It's three power and toughness for three mana spread across two bodies, one of which they can't pick off with a removal spell. I think this is a really good card to stabilize with. And then Knight of the Stampede as a a brick wall for the ground creatures and then allows you to power out your powerful dinos if you're in a green-white or green-red deck. That's the the 2-4. For four mana, Human Knight that makes your dinos two generic mana cheaper. Green Uncommons, Crested Herdcaller, the the five mana for the 3-3 Dino with Trample that makes a 3-3 token with Trample when it comes into play. That card, again, like, is, there's a theme here, right? Things that create two bodies, these things that, anything that's, that's allowing you to two for one, to make up for the time you've lost while your opponent is, like, trying to curve out on you is really important. And Thrashing Brontodon is just bigger than everything ever printed in magic it's a <laughs> At one, three drop, yeah. one green green for the three four dino that has i mean flavor text against aggro decks but it has uh, the one generic mana sacrifice to destroy target artifact or enchantment but it is actually surprisingly relevant because of you know the amount of enhancements there are or enchantment removal there are or god forbid your opponent has a pirate's cutlass or a captain's hook like the card just just does a ton of things and then there's a lot of big standouts in ixlan i think atsakan archer and Grazing Whiptail at the start because of how they deal with opposing flyers, and Atskin Archer especially because of, I think, how much better X1 aggro decks, quote-unquote, got. Uh, So it's able to just, like, come in, pick something off, and then also stand there as a pretty prominent blocker. Ranging Raptors, I think, provides a thing that they're not pretty excited to attack into on the ground because what are they going to do, like attack in with their 2-1, use a combat trick, and then you get to still draw land? So you've like two for one them. So all these things are consistently we're talking about, like how do you two for one these aggro decks? And then Exali's Diviner provides a nice little roadblock. Either it's going to be an O3 that maybe allows you to double block a, a, a Goblin Trailblazer or just brick wall some other random 2-2, like a Hardy Veteran or something. Or if it's a 1-4 uh, on turn two, that's also pretty strong and tough for aggro decks to beat. Yeah, there's also a colorless standout from Ixalan, Cobbled Wings. I feel like is the new Pirate's Cutlass in this draft form. <laughs> every week, every week, we're like, what's the new Pirate's Cutlass? I, I'm not even joking this time around, though. Flying is so good in this draft format. And frequently, like, you know, I'll be in black green or I'll be in white green or I'll be in white black. Like, I'm biased towards drafting these decks without blue, I think, uh, mm-hmm. is where I'm most comfortable drafting them. And Cobbled Wings is so good 
if you're not blue. It's insane for helping you turn the corner and close out the game. They can't block a flying colossal dreadmaw. And just giving something on your team, whether it's a lifelinker or something great defensive flying, is really, really, really good. I've gotten to the point where I will first pick Cobbled Wings out of the Ixalan pack if I need it for my deck. It's so good. I've been talking about flying being good in this format from day one, and so you, you don't need to, to convince me here that Cobbled Wings is gas. And you only need one copy. Yeah. So like, if you think you're going to wheel, like you don't need to pick it that aggressively if you think you're going to wheel it, but you absolutely want one copy in a non-blue deck that's trying to beat aggro. Okay, so to summarize, what are the necessary components of a deck to crush aggro, but still be able to win in the late game? I think the first thing is defensive speed. Uh, you want two or three drops that block or are really cheap interactive removal spells, a la Moment of Craving. Sailor means great card here in the defensive speed category. And I think you want four to six cards in the two drop slot uh, at a minimum that are like defensive speed oriented type cards. For sure. I mean, if, if, and these aren't, these don't have to be like big powerful effects like the things we were talking about. Like a dire fleet hoarder is great. Like just a two mana two one that's going to give you a treasure when it dies. Like just all these like little incremental value creatures or removal spells. Um, effects that can two for one, X ones, golden demise. Dual Shot, Atsuken Archer, Shake the Foundations, Forerunner of the Empires. Two or more of these main deck is really nice. It's nice that these cards aren't like just dead against other decks. So like, I think I'm not at the point where I'm excited to main deck a Dual Shot, but I'm happy to have it out of the board. But like, Atsuken Archer is going to be good no matter what. Golden Demise is going to be good no matter what. These are cards you definitely want to be main decking. Life Gain, also super important. Squire's Devotion, I think, is the MVP versus the aggro decks. Giving something lifelink and the 1-1 Vampire is super relevant, and it helps you get to Ascend. The card just does it all. Uh, the Black and the White Moment are also very good. That two life gain from those is super relevant. Yeah. Sadistic Sky Marcher being an evasive lifelinker is great. Queen's Agent is still the Dirtle MVP. Like, just being able to wheel a Queen's Agent out of the Ixalan pack feels so good. And I think you want three plus of these life gain effects in a deck that's that's slanted towards stopping aggro. Flying is the name of the game. So creatures with reach from Ixalan, like Atskin Archer or Grazing Whiptail, or Batman from Rivals. <laughs> Cobbled Wings from Ixalan, as we talked about, is really important. Lots of aggro decks rely on flying to close out the game. Like, you're going to be probably okay stopping stuff on the ground you're gonna fold to evasive threats so you need to be interact be able to interact with them if you plan on playing for the long game so you know one cobbled wings if you're light on flyers four to five creatures with flying or reach main decking crushing canopy is totally reasonable totally, totally fine. reasonable yeah even even good i would argue not yeah not, <laughs> not just fine no nah, maybe not just fine maybe like actively wanting to put that in your deck yeah, I think I am very excited for you playing the Batman theme on your stream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have, when you when you have <laughs> Spire Monitor on the battlefield, I can't wait. It's going to happen. It's going to happen for sure. Card Advantage, uh, Secrets of the Golden City, and Recover are both great. Uh, Recover especially goes up in value. That's the two and a black, uh, get something back out of your graveyard draw card. If you've got Atsukan Archer or Life Gain creatures, so like if you land, you know, a Sadistic Sky Marcher and your opponent finally deals with it, you recover it back and play it again, and they're just... Upper Creek without a paddle. It's so strong. Recover is my new favorite card in the set. It's as, like, maybe not quite as good as Wandering Death, but it's, like, it's up there for me. I think Secrets of the Golden City and maybe to a lesser extent Recover are maybe the reasons that this deck is actually pretty viable. I agree. Yeah. I think the fact that you have such good card advantage, like, we were bemoaning the fact when we were looking at the set initially that there's no mana sinks. How can there be control decks? Well, the mana sinks are the fact that card draw and card advantage are 
very, very plentiful. Um, and I think Secrets of the Golden City is something that, like, I'm if I have a blue control deck, I, I'm thrilled to have two of these in that deck. Yep, for sure. Bombs are the things that you need. Th- th- this is something that, that actually Kenji talked about on the latest Limited Resources episode, but that these decks rely on a lot of pieces as we're talking about. We've got like six bullet points here. But one of the important things is you can get all these other pieces and then if you have nothing to do with them, like if you have no way to close out the game at the end with a bomb or like a Colossal Dreadmaw, it's just a big 6-6 Trampler, you're not going to be able to win. You're not going to be able to 3-0 with this deck if you don't have the top end to support the defensive speed and card draw and life gain that you have in the earlier turns. Yeah, so I would I would add to the list of bombs or colossal dreadmaws a critical mass of flyers, like spire monitors or like shining aerosaurs or something. Batman does it all, man. Batman <laughs> does it all. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So that's like a ton of information we've laid out here. I really do think at this point, like three weeks into the format, that this is like the ideal deck in the format configuring your deck to beat aggro and still making sure you've got late game inevitability against other decks that are doing the same thing i've been consistently losing now that i've altered my draft strategy to this the thing i lose to the most is other decks that are built similarly to mine that have some way to go bigger than me or some other form of inevitability yeah do we want to close out the episode and check in on where we're at with our top three commons in each color yeah let's do it okay so where are you at on white White, number three, I've got Exultant Sky Marcher, the one white white for the two three flying vamp. Yeah, I've got Luminous Bonds at number three, the two and a white pacifism effect. That's my number two. So we've got those flip-flopped, it looks like. You're on Sky Marcher too. Yeah, I'm still not quite as high on the catch-all removal spells versus like a, a really like cheap two three flyer. Like, you know, I'm, I'm excited about Spirewinder. I'm sorry, I'm excited about Batman as a two three flyer. <laughs> so I'm going to be excited about Sky Marcher as a two three flyer, a mana cheaper, though the double white does sort of turn me off i don't know i could see i I think that these pick orders are also sort of stagnant but i think pack one pick one if i'm looking at sky marcher versus bonds i'm gonna take sky marcher that's super interesting and then number one i think we both like still handily got squire's devotion by a country mile yeah though i think i am not prioritizing i'm more looking at my decks in the the sultai realm and i am happy like you know i'll take squire's devotion and splash it i I was splashing two sun crested pterodons in a deck last night but white i don't find as the base of my deck so like what am i missing or what do you think i'm not prioritizing as much where i like don't end up in base white that often maybe picking squires devotions as aggressively as i do i i'm really looking to be if it the deck i want to be most in the format is black white because i think it's the best at straddling the aggro versus control world like vampires has draws where you curve out and you just nut draw your opponent and they have no chance but it also can grind into the late game with the best of them especially if it's got some recovers or things like that i think it vampires as a deck intrinsically it has a very good matchup against aggro while also being pretty aggressive itself so I, I don't know. I'm picking... I like being white. As much as you're looking to be blue, I, I think I'm looking to be white with Squire's Devotion and Sky Marchers, and I think Legion Conquistador is great. And that's maybe one of the reasons I'm not as high on Sky Marcher, because there's only, like, one effect of Luminous Bonds versus, like, while I'd rather have Sky Marcher than a Legion Conquistador, I think in if you're white, your three-drop slot can get clogged That's what I'm, that's in what I'm thinking about, like... How do you not just end up with like 23 drops in this deck? You do, but it's still so good. <laughs> like okay. all every every white black deck I've drafted has a three drop dong curve like you wouldn't believe. And it's still very, very good because there's so much synergy amongst your cards. And Luminous Bonds can be a three drop, but doesn't have to be. It's also still right. great on turn eight. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think I'm just not taking Squire's Devotion as aggressively as you are. And I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah. Moving on to blue. Uh, so I've got... 
I've got my boy Sailor of Means cracking the top three. I've got Sailor of Means as number three. Yeah, I also have Sailor of Means in my top three. I've got it slightly higher than you. Uh, <laughs> at number three, I've got Water Knot, the one blue blue for the claustrophobia effect to tap something down. Uh, I have Batman at number two, Spirewinder. <laughs> and that's where I've got Sailor of Means. And then number one, we both got Kite Sail Corsair. I, I am not as in love with Kite Sail Corsair as you, and I don't know why. Okay, so here's my pitch for Kite Sail Corsair. It does everything you need it to do in these decks. It comes out on turn two and can either trade with some opposing two drop or, or, you know, X one or X two for your opponent, or it just randomly deals six damage to your opponent. So like, I think for the same reason you like the white deck, the white black vampires decks to like, be able to like tussle with, you can like tussle with aggro. You like, you can just like curve out and win, or you can win in the late game. I like blue based decks with like infinite numbers of kite sail corsairs because of that same reason. I feel like I can win the games. I can aggressively win games with like kite sail corsair into spire winders or corsair comes down and can trade with something while I'm like setting up the rest of, uh, of my board for the late game. That makes sense to me. Yeah. All right. Moving on to red. So we'll nothing move- to talk about here. We'll move on to black. <laughs> yeah. When we were initially, we were working on this Google doc at the same time and I put, I put red and we were listing the top three commons in order and I put number one, nothing. (laughs) To which I wrote, Bombard is splashable. (laughs) That was great. So our our red commons currently go number three, Stampeding Horncrest as a nod to dinos. Number two, Mutiny is splashable. Number one, Bombard is splashable. (laughs) That's our top three red commons. Moving on to black, I think we're we're pretty much in agreement here. Dusk Legion Zealot at number three, though I want to give honorable mention to Fathom Fleet Border, uh, depending uh, on on like what your curve is looking like. Um, but I think I'm taking Zealot over Border, like the first copy of Zealot over the first copy of Border for sure. Uh, number two, we've got Impale, the Catch All Removal spell, and number one, what I think I might have pegged as the best common in the set, Moment of Craving, the one in the black minus two minus two, gain two life. Yep. So that's all still the same as our Crash Course. Uh, green, there's been quite a bit of moving for me. Uh, number three, I've got Knight of the Stampede, three and a green for the two four that makes your dinos cost two less. Yeah. Jungleborn Pioneer at number two, uh, the two and a green for the two two that makes a uh, one one Merfolk with hexproof when it enters the battlefield, which I could be convinced uh, very soon to be the top green common. And I've come down a bit on my number one, Hunt the Weak, three and a green, uh, give a creature plus one plus one and fight target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'll be interested to see if, if we eventually swap those two, if Pioneer comes out at number one all right so that'll do it you get your top three commons in every color you know not to draft red you know not to draft aggro just lay down those sailor of means and batmans and apply and win yeah so i'm super excited that this episode is coming out now because next weekend is the pro tour so we're gonna get to do our patented pt deep dive episode where we'll look at a bunch of pro drafts from the weekend and i'll be really curious to see what the pros are doing and how that lines up with what we feel like we've discovered this week yeah for sure thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen last week we unveiled the 15 achievements for the rivals of Ixalan treasure hunt this has been so fun like twitter was blowing up this week with people unlocking achievements that i didn't think were possible i was like we're putting this on here no one's gonna get this one 
Everyone has been diving in really fast. It's been really fun to see those screenshots on Twitter. So follow us on Twitter. You can get a, a list of the full achievements on Twitter. You can We have them in our, uh, our Twitch chat uh, as a command, exclamation mark, treasure hunt. So if you unlock an achievement, make sure to post it on Twitter, hashtag R-I-X treasure hunt, um, or send us an email with the screenshot so we can get you down. And uh, as soon as we unlock all 15... As a, as a group, Ben and I will schedule our 15-hour dual stream. I feel like that 15-hour stream is going to be unlocked in a hurry. They are coming fast and furious. <laughs> coming fast and furious for sure. So to get in touch with us with those screenshots or anything else, you can tweet at us. I'm at Lord Tupperware. Ben is at Mr. Metronome. The podcast is at Lords of Limited. Twitch.tv Lord Tupperware for me. Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Lord Tupperware. Yep, if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. <laughs>